This is Warrior Podcast, introducing warriors to the warrior god. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, here with Connor Shanahan. And we have commenced a new journey here at WGM, a new series called The Story of the Bible. And on this new journey, Connor, could you please take us through what exactly is the story of the Bible in a short Cliff Notes version? 100%. That's what we're all about here at WGM is that those Cliff Notes. All right. We're trying to help you out. The story of the Bible. That's right. Singular. Because we believe the Bible tells one unified story. And we think that's actually the only correct way to interpret scripture um, because that's how Jesus tells us to interpret scripture in Luke 24 to say that all of scripture points to Christ. And so here's how that plays out practically. In the beginning, from the very first pages of scripture, we see God create a wonderful world for human beings to enjoy, to flourish, to worship him in his presence. Human beings disobeyed the good and right boundaries that God had set up for their flourishing in order to promote their well-being. Human beings went outside of that. And that disobedience gave birth to sin. And sin ruins everything. Sin fractured the entire cosmos. Sin fractured mankind's relationship with God, mankind's relationship with each other, and also somehow fractured the very creation itself. However, God did not leave mankind or the created order in its mess. Instead, God set forth a redemptive mission to restore and reconcile all things unto himself. And he did this through the prophecy of Jesus Christ playing out in the Old Testament, through the coming of Jesus Christ, through the very first gospel accounts in the New Testament, and through the ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ to make all things right. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our sins are atoned for, meaning that we can be reconciled and restored to God and then used by God in the here and now on his and in his as part of his redemptive mission to make all things right. And one day Jesus Christ himself, God himself, promises to return and to uh, once and for all restore all things to the original paradise that we were meant to live in. So can we go back to the beginning and start in Genesis, where the story of the Bible begins. The beginning, some might say. The beginning. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to camp out for our next two episodes, actually. Because here's the deal. When, when you start talking about creation, a lot of people get testy. We get heated. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of big ideas and beliefs that, that we see playing out in these first couple chapters of Scripture. So here's how we're going to break this down, just, just for your information so you can follow along with us. In this episode, we're going to talk about the essentials. The essentials of creation. Here's what you have to know in order to accept the Christian narrative of creation. Okay, so that's what we're doing today. Big picture, big principles. Here are the things that you need to know about creation. In our next episode, dun dun dun, we will address the more controversial aspects of creation, such as the different views of the age of the earth, the different views of the length of the days, and how to reconcile evolution with a biblical worldview. Can that be done? I don't know. Tune in next time on Warrior Podcast. But today, uh, we're going to keep a big picture, and we're going to talk through uh, the essentials of Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1, the most important theme might be the Trinity that we see. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, you know a thing or two about the Trinity. We just did a whole series about it. So, Can can I get an amen? (laughs) Hopefully, you know a thing or two about the Trinity, which is this doctrine, which hopefully you remember, can be summarized in one sentence, that our God is one God, one divine essence, one divine nature, eternally existing in three distinct persons. One divine nature, three distinct persons. One divine essence, three distinct persons. One God. 
three distinct persons, existing for all of eternity. We see that playing out here in Genesis chapter one. Yeah, Connor knows a second language, folks. An alien language, (laughs) some might say. I didn't mean, I didn't want to flex, but Elizabeth is going to make me flex on the podcast. Genesis 1.1. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim et haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But within that statement is, is exactly where we're going. So I appreciate the opportunity to flex. I appreciate that transition. You're welcome. <laughs> the word for God used of God throughout Genesis 1 is Elohim. Now, I know we have a ton of Hebrew scholars out there, and so you can just go ahead and shout out the answer. What does Elohim mean? Do you know about any Well, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't speak that language. I doubt there's any. I hope there's no Hebrew scholars listening because my Hebrew is trash. My Hebrew, I don't, it's hard to pronounce. Um, Elohim, this is, and, and listen, WGM, we're your podcast. We're all about throwing out controversial statements. Hopefully you've learned by now we're going to walk you through it. So It'll we're going to okay. throw, throw out a clickbait headline. We're all going to take some deep breaths. We're going to walk through it. It's all going to be okay. The word Elohim means gods. What? Gods. It's a plural word for God. In the beginning, gods, plural, created the heavens and the earth. But I thought there was one God. I thought so too. (laughs) (laughs) And now, so, so this is really important. And we will certainly get into this more on another episode. But again, today we're just trying to hit the big picture aspects of creation. Essentially, our God, Yahweh, the Lord Most High, created a vast dimension of spiritual beings and that even sounds controversial but let me just let me just say non-controversially angels and demons god created I think we're comfortable with angels and demons right at the very least we're comfortable with that so god created the spiritual realm and now this, again another controversial statement stay with me elsewhere in scripture those beings angels and demons and other spiritual beings are described as elohim so in psalm 82 we see this happen we see the word elohim used in a way that doesn't describe god and so the word elohim in English, most likely for us, for you to understand, could just mean a spiritual being, something that's not human. Yeah. In the Old Testament, I was doing some research. Come on, somebody. And uh, I was reading that Elohim, the word Elohim is also used in the Old Testament whenever false gods would be brought up. Correct. Yeah. And a lot of that, what you see in the Old Testament, which we don't really realize is, is demon worship. You see the Israelites going out to worship demons are going out to worship these false spirits that are not God. And so all that to say, the word Elohim simply means, some people would say that Elohim is the, is the creative name of God. I understand the desire to do that, but it's just not true according to Hebrew, right? We want to say it's the creative name of God because we see Elohim used here in Genesis where God is creating all things. I, I understand that, but again, just the Hebrew word Elohim just doesn't mean creative God. It, it, it just means gods. It means spiritual being. And so essentially think about this throughout scripture. We see this name ascribed to our God, the Lord most high. So what if our God Elohim is the most high of the spiritual realm? Our God is above the angels. He's above the demons. And we already know this, right? Like I hope so. Even from on a Sunday school level, we know, okay, there are angels, good guys. There are demons, bad guys. And our God rules and reigns over all of them. There are also humans. Our God, Yahweh, rules and reigns over everything, over the cosmos, over the universe, over the spiritual realm, and over earth. So maybe that was a lengthy intro on Elohim, but there's your Hebrew for the day. You can now write that off on a resume that you know some Hebrew. Um, Way to start your learning process. Yeah, way to start it with us right here at Warrior Podcast. We're honored to have you join us. You wanted to learn a second language? Here you go. You're welcome. That was for free. That That was for free. So this word Elohim means 
gods, the Lord Most High is, is how we could say it. However, I do think that it's significant in that it points us to the doctrine of the Trinity. It's because in, I was doing my homework on this one, so um, I learned that the very next word in Hebrew, I'm, I'm not even going to try to say this, um, but the word for created was used in a singular tense instead of a plural tense. So it, it would almost be like saying in English, like, they is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It refers to Elohim as if it's acting like a singular which is fascinating because then that 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 raises the question. Okay, so maybe it's not multiple gods. Maybe it's using a word or an idea, this idea of the Most High, to paint the picture of a doctrine. The Trinity. The Trinity. So if that's our working thesis, right? If we have this idea from Genesis one one that there might be this idea of a singular God that has. There's no indication in Elohim in and of itself that there's three persons. I want to be charitable. I want to be fair and say that. However, with the benefit of of hindsight, with the benefit of having the historic creeds, knowing a bit about the, the church fathers and how they viewed these things, we have a robust understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if we go back biblically to try to prove that, we see, okay, in Genesis 1-1, we have Elohim created, multiple gods created as one God. And then in verse two, if you wouldn't mind reading that for us, Elizabeth, we also have a significant piece of this puzzle. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Interesting. So now we see the spirit of God introduced, which is interesting. Now doesn't prove anything just quite yet, but now let's look at 26 and 27, if you don't mind. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Beautiful. So specifically in verse 27, I think you see this playing out perfectly. So God created man in his own image. So Elohim God's created man in his singular Singular. own image. So we see this idea of something of the plurality. That's kind of a heretical word, but stay with me for a second of God. Also the singularity of God in a beautiful, glorious divine mystery. Come on, somebody. This is pointing us to and priming us for what we see play out throughout the rest of scripture, which is our triune God, that our God is, is one God one single divine essence, one single divine nature, one single God who has eternally existed in three persons, in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. So that is an essential, definitely. The Trinity must be understood. Um, And then we see another essential in verse 27 is that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this brings us to the topic of Imago Dei. You might want to define what that means for us, Connor, the phrase Imago Dei. Absolutely. That is a Latin phrase. The Bible was translated into Latin in the good old days. And this phrase came out to be a a significant saying just to capture this idea of the doctrine, which most simply means Imago Dei means in the image of God. And so what does it mean for us to be the image of God? What does that mean for us practically? Yeah, there's a few things I think. I think first and foremost... All human beings are created in the image of God, period. That's what we see here. That is, that is the intended purpose of humanity is to reflect the image of God. Therefore, all human beings are made in the image of God. And therefore, most simply and most practically for us, we must understand that all human beings have inherent worth 
and value as image bearers of God. So if we see that in today's world, that can drastically change the idea of how we're to treat other people. Absolutely. What if we actually believe this? What if we actually believe that every single human being, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of where they come from or what they've done, they have inherent worth and value as a human being made in the image of God. So all human beings have worth and value. Also, I think that when we read this verse, it might be easy to come to the conclusion that since we're made in the image of God, that could mean a literal reflection, such as when you look in the mirror or reflection in the water. So you might think that God maybe is two hands, two feet, two eyes, and nose, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, often this gets taught by a lot of people that, that we are made in the image of God and therefore God looks like us, that therefore somehow we bear his physical, literal image. Right. So I'm just reading here, once again, in the CSB study Bible. Um, that the This he- episode is sponsored by the CSB study Bible. <laughs> it's okay, CSB study Bible, you can sponsor us. <laughs> like, um, but here in the commentary um, for the CSB study Bible, it says that the two Hebrew words translated as image and likeness are often understood as having the same meaning, but some interpreters suggest that image refers to the ability to reason with likeness referring to the spiritual dimension. So that might not necessarily point towards a literal reflection of God dare I say, definitely does not yeah. point to a literal reflection yeah. of the physical image of God. Because as we as we have learned, God is not limited by our dimensions, by our space and time. Absolutely. So he doesn't have a physical body. Right. And we see Jesus say this it, clearly in John chapter four is where mm-hmm. I always go to, where Jesus said, God is spirit. And he goes on to say, it's the verse where Jesus says that his worshipers must worship God in spirit and in truth. But he, he leads into that by saying, God is spirit. And hopefully, if if you've been tracking with us throughout the Trinity series, we've covered this pretty extensively, that God is divine. He's divine in nature. He's different than us. He's not limited to any physical location. He's not limited to any physical corporeality. He's not limited to a physical body, in other words. So while we are like defined to a certain location, while we have hands and feet and ears and a nose, God is spirit. So to say God is spirit is not to say that he's ethereal, not to say that he is a ghost, rather to simply say God is not defined by any location or any physical being or any physical entity. So to say that we are image bearers of God is significant because it's significant because we're not saying we look like God looks. God looks just like a human. What we are saying is that in some sense, we have been entrusted with this this gift of, of knowledge, of, of rationale, of morality, of being able to understand who God is and furthermore, be able to be used by God as a representative to carry his spirit, to carry his mission uh, as we are set out on, his, on the mission that he has set forth to redeem and restore all things. But an interesting note on this too, just to hopefully tie up this, this idea of God being spirit, Uh, In the Old Testament, you see the Israelites get in a lot of trouble for making idols in the image of God. Now, uh, hopefully we'll cover this at a different episode, but but this also gets taught wrong. If you look at both golden calf narratives, in both cases, the Israelites were not trying to make an idol to a false god. That's what I had always thought. That's how it always gets taught. But if you you look at the text, it's pretty clear. Aaron makes a golden calf and then tells the Israelites, let us go worship the Lord. Let us go worship Yahweh. So he's saying, we're going to worship God with this calf. 
because a calf or a bull was an image of strength, an image of honor and dignity. It was the strongest animal that they could think of. And so, so the exaltation there throughout scripture is don't make any image of God because God can't be defined by an image. He can't be constrained to a, a body or a being. It's almost just like saying if you're to try to put an image like to try to imagine what God looks like or try to conjure that, um, it would be kind of disrespectful to him. It would because it, it's it's in some sense unfathomable that our God is, is, he is in some sense incomprehensible. His glory, his beauty, his grandeur is incomprehensible. He is not worthy to be compared to anything. Way more than some golden cow. Way more, way better, way bigger, way more beautiful and glorious and strong than anything that we can conjure up for him. So anyway, back to Genesis 1. The the Imago Dei is significant for a few reasons. One, all human beings have inherent worth and value as image bearers of God. And two, it's important to note that that does not mean that God is a human or looks like us because that's not true. But what the implication of being an image bearer is that we are entrusted to bear God's image, to reflect his spirit to the rest of creation. That our God, as we've covered in the Trinity series, that our God who enjoys participation has created us and invited us into his grand redemptive plan to redeem and restore all things. And so we are to be ambassadors of that mission on this earth. Hence, story of the Bible. So that's the story of the Bible. And as we wrap up this conversation about creation, we have one more point that must be understood about creation, and that is that God said it was good. Absolutely. Yeah. So so three kind of essentials that we're drawing out of the first chapter of Genesis are we have the doctrine of the Trinity started, initiated, hinted at, uh, I think established. We have two, the Imago Dei, the fact that all human beings are made in the image of God. And three, we have that God created a good world. Now, how often have you been told that God created a perfect world? Every time. Every time. I don't say that. I'm not sure that it was a perfect world. And and the reason I don't say God created a perfect world was because the Bible doesn't say God created a perfect world, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we look at Genesis 1, we see the days of creation, God going through and saying, uh, God created this and it was good. God created this and it was good. God created this and it was good. And at the end of the, the creation week, we see God create mankind and say, this is very good. So we have a very good world. And I think that that's an important point because it gets at the intention of God to create a world in which human beings can flourish, in which human beings can thrive and enjoy life in his presence, in which human beings can, as best as possible, reflect his image, know him, walk with him, enjoy him, and worship him. So maybe to back up your point, I would say that we know that the fall of man is coming. We know yes. that sin is coming. And if God had created a perfect world, we would think that Adam and Eve would not be capable of sinning. Exactly. There's there's something here where Adam and Eve were capable of sinning. They probably were capable of not sinning, but they didn't. But they were created sinless. Right. And then they messed it up. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the fall happened, which again, of course, with hindsight, we know that this is coming. We know that the fall is coming. So, so it's kind of an interesting picture, though, because we can't forget, even though we know the fall is coming, even though we know that sin fractures everything, even though we know that our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, somehow the whole creative order is going to be fractured by sin and by the fall, we cannot forget that God created the world to be good. God created humans to flourish. God created the, all of creation, the created order, to work in such a way that would promote flourishing, that would promote goodness. And this is huge because this is, this is the Christian life. The Christian life, God's will for your life today, warrior, is to be sanctified. 
right? We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4. God's will for your life is sanctification. What is sanctification? Phenomenal question. Sanctification is becoming more like God over a long period of time, knowing him more, loving him more, becoming more compelled to obey him more and more. And really what sanctification is, is getting back to this Imago day, getting back to reflecting and sitting in and knowing and walking out of the image of God. That one day we know that Jesus Christ will return and he will restore all things. He will make all things right. And in that, our images, that our uh, body will be remade and reformed to, to bear God's image in the way that we were supposed to from Genesis 1. So that is, that is I know that, uh, again, when we talk creation, when we begin to speak about creation, there's a lot of big questions that come up. There's a lot of hot topics that come up. So our intention here is to keep it not surface level because we believe that these things are deep and these things are of utmost significance and importance, but we were trying to keep things primary. The essential things, the the, the essential doctrines, the essential points and truths that we see play out in Genesis 1 to recap are the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the Imago Dei, and God's design for flourishing, for the creative order to flourish and for human beings to flourish. There's a lot of mystery here. And we want to be upfront about that. And we also want to be charitable and say that other people might emphasize other aspects of, of creation and call other things primary. We're trying to keep things simple. And, and I think that these are the three most simple and fundamental essentials of God's act of creation. And, and as I just said, we do want to emphasize that, man, there's some mystery here. That, and then how could God have, if God is sovereign, why would he have created human beings with the capacity to sin, knowing that they would sin if he is all-knowing? Why would that happen and, and how could that happen? And there's a lot of questions that quite honestly, we're never going to know the answer to. That quite honestly, there's going to always be a degree of mystery as we consider the the acts of God in creation. I think that I think that most simply, there's, there's always going to be a hint or essence of, of mystery as, as we speak of God, because he is in some sense mysterious as we, as we discussed throughout the Trinity series, that there's some sense of mystery within the Godhead. Uh, but that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that mystery in and of itself is an invitation to press deeper into the things of God. That mystery uh, is an invitation to examine and to consider and to pray and to ask and to seek God. And to wrestle. To wrestle and to ask these tough questions. I think God wants that because what we've seen throughout scripture and what we're going to see throughout the story of the Bible is that God enjoys participation. God invites us to know him. He invites us to participate. And so somehow in his mysterious, glorious sovereignty, God created the wonderful world that he did and uh, just the way that he did. Somehow, again, in his mysterious, beautiful, glorious sovereignty, knowing that that the best way to accomplish his mission of restoring and redeeming and reconciling all things to end up at the perfect Eden, the new Eden, the new Jerusalem, the picture of heaven that we see at the end of scripture, the best way to get there was through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about making Him the authority over your life, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. We will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ.